0: In 2005, I, um, I thought my life was ending. I thought that was it for me, um, and that, that was my last day. I could see the headlines on the news. It would say, uh, plane traveling from New York City to Dallas, Texas, crashes in the mountains, and everybody was dead on the, on the plane. You see, I was sitting on this, this plane, this regional jet flying from New York to Dallas, and this jet as we were going over the mountains, was bouncing in the air. I mean, I felt like I was on a trampoline in the middle of the air, uh, going up and down, up and down. I mean, it was crazy. It was chaos. People on the plane were screaming. I wasn't screaming. Um, (laughs) I had had a manly groan. Um, But they were screaming, and just, uh, it it was crazy. It was chaos. But then there was a, a small group of people as well that were on the plane, and they remained calm. Some continued to work on their laptops, and some even started to comfort those that were panicking. And it made me think, what, what's, what's up with them? But like, unlike me in that situation, I sat there. As soon as I got on the plane, I put on my headphones, and I was in my zone in my own world. Well, these people, when they got on the plane, they listened to what the pilot had to say. He had specific instructions. And then they even understood what was part of the plane ride. And they had faith in the pilot that he was going to get them there. But the pilot gave specific instructions of what had to happen, what was going to be part of the path in order for us to get to our final destination. And when this trial that I was in that I felt like was ruining my life while I was in the air that was about to end my life, I felt like at one point I handled it one way, but this group of people that listened and understood and had faith, they understood it different, and they had a completely different reaction than I had with the same exact circumstance, the same exact trial that I was facing. You see, every one of us will have trials in our life. It's just going to happen. And you will feel like in that moment, that trial is ruining your life. If you could just Take that trial and place it out of your life, everything would be fine. You're going to feel that way. We all have it. It's going to happen all throughout our lives. But there's two ways that you can respond to a trial when in terms of your faith. And there's only two outcomes. Either your faith increases or your faith decreases. There's no middle ground there. I heard it said earlier this week, I even like that, you either get bitter or you get better. You get bitter or you get better. You get bitter when you don't understand the point of a trial. And you say, why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Why are you bringing this in my life? I don't deserve this. And you get angry with God. And you question God. And you start to think, if I was in control, I would do things differently. Or you get better is the other option. You understand the point of trials. You understand the purpose behind them. You understand what God is doing in your life Through a trial. And you don't get angry, but you look in your life and you see the growth that is happening, the spiritual growth in your life due to that trial. You see your faith increase. Our passage this morning gives us a clear understanding, a clear game plan of how we should approach trials how we should endure through trials, and how we should see trials as they're happening and the outcome that they're producing. And James tells us that well, and he prepares us for the trial that you and I are going to have in our life. Because there's that old adage of you're either in a trial, you're coming out of one, or you're headed right back into another one. That's just life for us. There's no avoiding it. You're in a trial right now, you're headed into another one, or you're just coming out of one. Those are the three phases that we're in. So we need to understand how to prepare ourselves for these trials and how to be most productive for God's glory as we enter our next trial or we work through the one that we're in right now. So let's go ahead and open up to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 8 is where we're going to spend our time this morning. 2 through 8, and as you heard from Pastor Kempis last weekend, you got the setting. You understand what's going on in James. Pastor James is talking to these, these Christians that are dispersed, right? They're in the dispersion is what it says. They're dispersed. They're scattered all over. They're in poverty. They're being oppressed. They're constantly being pressured to go back to their old ways. They're going through tough times right now. And James has a message for them on if you're a Christian, this is what should, how your life should be reflected. So James chapter 1 verses 2 says this, count it all joy. I just got to stop right there because there is a lot within that. Count it all joy. I just told you he's, he's talking to people that are under a lot of oppression, that are suffering. They're going through major trials. Some of them, people are dying around them because of their Christian faith. faith. And much like 1 Peter, what I got opportunity to preach on in main service, he says the same thing, blessed. James is saying, count it all joy. So it's complete opposite, I bet, of what they're expecting. They're expecting a pity party of like, help me out here, saying count it all joy. Count it all joy. That's an imperative. It's not something that, you know, if you feel like it, count it all joy. You know, if, if No, count it all joy. An imperative is that there's a demand, a command, a response, some action that's required from that all joy, not a mixed emotion, not a little bit of joy and a little bit of sadness, a little bit of joy, a little bit of mourning. He's saying, count it all joy. When do you want us to do that, James? When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. It's endurance, perseverance, loyalty to God. No matter what you're going through, you know that God is in control. You're not leaving your faith in God because of a trial that's in your, in your life, steadfastness. And let the steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Spiritually mature. Uh, that's a good way to say that because right? we can see perfect and say, I'm out, so this doesn't apply. No, he's saying spiritually rep- mature, lacking in nothing. And that's the whole purpose of this book of James. We want to be spiritually mature. Verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, here's another imperative. This is what we should do. Let him ask God. Let him ask God. And sometimes we read, let him ask God, and it's like, mm, you know what, if, if, I, if I need God, I'll go to him. No, James is saying, ask God. Ask God. If you're going through a trial, you, you better be asking God, and he'll give you wisdom. Who gives generously to all without Reproach without rebuke, God doesn't shame us. God doesn't make us feel like He's disappoint, disappointed if we come to Him. He says he, he, he gives to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything. If you're doubting. You can't go before God and say, God is going to bless my, my request. He's going to bless my promise. Because he's saying, look, you, you may not receive anything if you go to God doubting. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. If we go back up to the, that first verse, count it all joy, I want to focus on one word real quick. One word that we need to to understand, and before I get to that one word, let me me just make sure we're all on the same level playing field here. Um, Any perfect people in this room say amen? Okay, I just need to make sure, because if none of us are perfect and we can all agree with that, then we need to understand one truth about that first section here, is you and I will never graduate from trials in our life. We will never graduate from trials. And how do we know that? Because he says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when, when, when. It's not an if. It's not a maybe. It's not that, you know, the the guy sitting at your table hadn't faced as many trials as as you have. It's going to happen. Just give it time because it's part of the Christian life. It is how God shapes us and molds us to be more like him. If you don't have a trial that you're going through right now, Sorry to let you know. I'm not sorry. Why did I say that? I'm not sorry because this is God's plan. One is coming. And the point of a trial is to impinge upon that imperfectness, imperfection of your life. We just said we're not perfect, and so God's whole point in our Christian life is to chisel at those imperfections in our life. It's kind of like a, a sculptor has. A sculptor has a marble slab that they get, and they see an image. They see a perfect image that they want to get to, and they start to chip away and chip away and chisel, and that's what God is doing in our life, and he's chipping away those imperfections. He's chipping away that anger. He's chipping away that lust. He's chipping away that envy. He's chipping away all of that in our life through trials until he gets that perfect image, but we know that perfect image does not come on this side of eternity. So he's going to continue to work on our lives through trials and chip away. God chisels all of the non-Christ likeness that's in us to make us more spiritually mature. When, not if doesn't matter how much you strategize, how much you game plan, how much you try to avoid trials in your life, how much you try to play this life safely and conservatively, you're going to face a trial. There's that old phrase, there's two guarantees in life. What? Death and what? Taxes. Well, I'm here to make a case. There's a third. Death, taxes, and trials. Somebody tweet that out. It's going to happen. There's no way to avoid it. And for us as Christians, we need to understand and expect that to happen. And that's point number one this morning is we need to expect trials throughout your life. Expect trials throughout your life. Small trials, big trials, short-term trials, long-term trials. Some of you have been dealing with the same trial for decades. Decades. But what does James say in his word? When you meet trials of various kinds, various kinds. So we're all going to have them. It's not about comparing your trials to somebody else. We all got trials because God is working to produce something in your life. He's trying to work on an imperfection in your life. So your trial, of course, is going to look different than the person that's at your table. Because he's working on you. And there's three foundational understandings that we must have in order to properly expect these trials that are going to come of various kinds Number one, we need to understand, what is a trial? What is a trial? A trial is a a trouble, a difficulty, uh, an an adversity in your life, a problem. All of those are trials. And here's how I defined it. We can put it up here on the board. A trial is a God-given disruption to the comfortable flow of your life that grabs your full attention i repeat that, a God-given disruption to the comfortable flow of your life that grabs your full attention. God-given. God-given. Sometimes when we get around our other brothers in Christ or we get around non-Christians, we try to protect God. Look, God doesn't need your protection. It's a God-given thing. The trial in your life, this difficulty, while we may not know the answer, it's a God-given thing. Isaiah 45, 7, I form the light, I create darkness. I make well-being, I create calamity. I am the Lord God who does all of these things. God doesn't need you to take up for him and say, oh, I don't know why. No, no, it was a God-given thing. Why? Because God is trying to produce something in your life. God may be trying to produce something in that non-Christian's life that they don't see. But it is a God-given thing, and we must not be ashamed of that because we understand what God is producing through that trial. Number two, we must understand the purpose of a trial, the purpose of a trial, and the purpose of a trial is that it grows our faith. That's the whole point of it. The point of a trial is not for us to suffer and just sit there and suffering. It's not for us to, to feel bad and sit there and feel bad. It's for us to grow in our faith. Faith in what? Our faith in God's sovereignty and his plan. And have loyalty to that. That no matter what happens in our life, no matter how bad it gets, that we are loyal to God. Because we know that he's doing something. Even though if it doesn't make sense to us. Second Corinthians 12, 8-10 says this. I'll just read it. Jot that verse down. You know it. 2 Corinthians 12. Why did I turn to 8? Come on now. Get there. Three times Paul said, I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. All right, Paul's saying, at the, at, the, at the most weakest point of my life, God shines the brightest. Jesus shines the brightest because, look, I can't take any credit for it. I'm done, I'm toast. I have nothing to give. But that's where Jesus shines the brightest, when we are in our weakness. And we need to understand, throughout our trials, we become weak. But guess who becomes strong? Christ does. Christ shines through us in our trials. And Christ is glorified. And your trust in his provisions, it increases. But here's the number three thing that we need to understand in order to expect trials well. And that is, Look, guys, it's, it's not about the trial. It's not about the trial. James is not saying have joy in the trial. Nobody should go around here flippantly saying like, oh, you got cancer? You have joy in that, right? You, you have this, you lost your job, have joy in that. It's not about the, the, the trial. He says count it all joy, count it all, everything in context, count all of that joy. Why? Because this trial, what it produces is a great thing. It's more Christ-likeness. And so if we know that a trial, every single trial that we have produces Christ-likeness, then we can count that all joy because when we go through a trial in our life, we can know that, hey, God's working right now. God's working on something. I, I, I don't like this necessarily, but it, it reminds me that God is working on something in me right now to make me more like him through this trial. And so in that aspect, we can count it all joy because we know every trial produces something every trial increases your faith if you're handling it the right way count it all joy the reason we don't we don't handle trials well is because we don't expect them we don't expect them even how we handle joy within a trial is just wrong when we don't expect it cuz what's the time that we typically have the joy at the end Right? When, when the trial is over, it's like, woo, praise God, I got through that one. Now I'm happy because things are back to normal. Right? I, I didn't have a job or I, I had a job situation that wasn't going well. Now it's going okay. I, I'm happy now. Now I can be joyful. I was mad for six months, but now I can be joyful. I had a relationship that I, I, if I just removed that one person from my life, everything would be, would be fine. That person moved away. Now, I'd be, now I can be joyful. No, we need to have joy In the trial, because we know that God is working and he is producing something. Not when we get the relief. The other reason we don't expect trials well or we don't handle them because we don't expect them is because we always think we could do better. We always think if God would have just done things my way, it would have been fine. He didn't have to send me through that trial. I would have learned. But the problem with that is we wouldn't design our life that way. You see, if you and I had control over our life and we got the opportunity to design it, then this is what it would look like. Our wives, every time we go home, they would be the most joyful people ever. And they would say yes to everything that you do. They would have no conflict with you. There would be no arguments, no disagreements, nothing. Your job, oh, everybody would pat you on the back. Everybody would say, attaboy, hey, you're really good. Hey, we ha- we've never had a boss like you before, right? You would get all the promotions. You would get all the, the pay raises. You would get all of those things in your job. You would, line, you would line it up like that for yourself. Your kids, oh, your kids would be walking with the Lord, all of them, all of them, right? Your kids, if they're even smaller, then they would be the ones that people would say, man, I, I want my kids to be like yours because they're well-behaved. They don't say a word when you talk. They'd never interrupt you. they never run off. Right, they're right there. How did you do that? Right, health problems, you wouldn't have those. You'd be at tip-top condition at every point in your life. Right, financial burdens, you would never have any of that. Your savings would be so stacked that, you know, even if something did go wrong, you got enough cushion. You're not worried about it. Right, all of those things, we, that's how we would plan our life. We would never put in there and say, hard time on January 27th, whatever today is. We would never put that in our life. Why? We don't want that. We naturally don't want that. We want to grow. We want to be more Christ-likeness, but we want to find a way to do it without a trial. But God is saying, no, that's how I get your attention. That's That's how all eyes get pointed to me. That's how I can really shape you and mold you when you realize you have no control over this life. That's how I grow you. We grow the most in a trial when things are out of our control and God is in full control. Even though he always is. We know he always is. But we think we have some control. We grow the most in the trial when we finally have to say, I I don't know. I, I don't know what to do. And then God starts working on us to draw us closer to Jesus and further away from ourselves. A trial is a reminder that God is working in you. And we should expect it to happen. And James was reminding his audience that God is working in them as we get back to our passage, verse 3. For you know, you know, you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. One of the great things that I get to do um, that I just have a blast doing is, is coaching my son's basketball team. I do. He may not have a blast with it, but I like it. I enjoy it. Uh, but being able to coach a whole bunch of six-, seven-, eight-year-olds is a great thing because you can start to train them, and you start to see them grow, and they develop over the course of one season. They learn a lot of new things. And one of my favorite things to do to them um, at every practice, at the end of every practice, is a thing I call, we call wall sits. Right? And you're familiar with wall sits. You put your back against the wall, and you sit With just all, just the only pressure that you have is against the wall. Like you're sitting in a chair, but you don't have a chair. And you just sit there and you just hold it. And so all the tension and all the pressure gets to your quads and your legs. And it's so great because I sit there and look at them, and at first it's easy, it's fun, and then all of a sudden those legs start shaking like wet noodles, and they can't control it, and they stop talking, they stop laughing, and they start to scrunch their face because it hurts. There's some pain in there. And the point, the why, why, why I do that, because one, it's just pure comedy watching them uh, <laughs> transition from all will fun and games to, like, I, I, I'm about to cry. Um, but why I do that, because it, it shows me two things. One, it shows me mental toughness, because I want to see who's going to push through it. I want to see who, when it starts to hurt, you continue to fight. And then the other thing it does is it strengthens them. It strengthens them. And so while they might not like the wall sits, Over the course of a season, they start to realize, hey, something's happening here. Because first practice, it was 30 seconds. And then it went to 60 seconds. And then it went to 90 seconds. And then it went to two minutes. And then it went to two and a half minutes. And I'm still standing. And so, yes, while the wall sits are not fun, and none none of them would say, sign me up, I'd love to do it, they love the outcome. They love the outcome. And you start to see it even in their play because they they push through the hard times. Right? Their legs are stronger. They're able to, to endure throughout the entire game. Why? Because of what the wall sits produced. Because of what that trial on their legs, that pressure on their legs, that discomfort at that point in their life, it wasn't about that. It was about what it produced. And that is the same thing that you and I need to see with trials. It's not about the trials. But you and I need to anticipate. Because like James said, no, no, no. Anticipate means it's going to happen. It's part of the trial. It's part of the package that there is growth to come. And that's point number two this morning is anticipate growth from your trials. I'm so glad James put it that way. For you know, you know, you know, you know, he says. That the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. He wasn't saying, hey, think about this idea. Maybe you know, you've seen it before. You know this is going to happen. Anticipate it. Anticipate it. It's a guarantee that there's an opportunity for your faith to grow if you anticipate it. And you trust God in this. I mean, if we just shift our mindset to that and anticipate growth from our trials, we know that whatever trial that we're in right now or whatever the one that is to come, or even the one that you dealt with before, if you look back at it and say, "How was God growing me? And you look at it from that point of view, I mean, it changes everything. I mean, when we go through a trial, we start to, to, to seek how God is growing us. When we we feel a trial coming, like, all right, God's working on me. Now that I anticipate it, I need to look for how God is growing me. What imperfection is he working on in my life? Because I know it's there. I just need to seek to find it. Right? We start to, to pray differently. Not, God, get me out of this trial. I don't deserve this. Get me out of this. Relieve me from this. But we start to pray like Jesus did in Luke 22. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. In my life, we pray differently when we anticipate that God is growing us through trial. We read our Bible differently, in the good times or the bad. We read our Bible differently and say, what does God want me to do in my life? How does he want me to apply his word to my life? We don't just read it to check a box, but we read our Bible differently when we know that he's growing us because we're searching for it, we're looking for it, trying to find it. And guess what, we display more humility. More humility when we anticipate growth from our trials. Because we understand that God is working on us. And so we're not trying to go to our brothers and say or act like we're all high and mighty and have this reputation of being, of being great in this world. No, we're going to our brothers and saying, hey, I need you to pray for me because I'm dealing with a trial. But guess what? In this trial, I know God is growing me. So pray for wisdom. Don't pray for me to, to be relieved from this. I mean, if, if you will, then that's fine. But focus more on for, for me to see what God is doing in my life through this tough time. That's how we start to, to talk to our, our, our brothers in our small groups. I'm going through a trial. I'm okay with it because guess what? You're going to have a trial. You're going to have a trial. You're going to. None of us are perfect. So even if I go through a trial, it is God given because he's doing something in me. He's doing something in me. We don't withdraw from God, we draw near to God when we anticipate growth from our trials. Some of you, as I mentioned at the outset, are, have been dealing with the same trial for years, years, decades. It just just won't leave you. It's either within the home, it's within the job, it's it's somewhere in your, it might be health concern, it's somewhere in your life where all, you're dealing with the same trial. And instead of taking James' counsel here and understand that God is growing you, you continue to fight back, fight back. This shouldn't be happening to me. Why am I going through this? I'm going to figure it out my way. Where God is saying, I'm trying to help you here. I'm trying to grow you here. I'm placing people around your life to grow you, to be more spiritually mature through this trial. But you're not anticipating the growth. Look, here's the thing about trials. They're geared to make you more like Christ and less like yourself. That's the thing: more like Christ, less like yourself. Some of us in our life, we just want to be better versions of ourselves, better versions of ourselves. But the whole point of the Christian life is to be more like Christ, sanctification, less like ourselves. That's the point of a trial. Perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. That's where where James is, is, is pointing us to. That's where we want to be, perfect and complete, like Christ. And Paul was one that could see that clearly. Right, look at Romans 5, 3, 3, through 5. Romans 5, 3 through 5. Just jot that down. Paul says this, not only that, but we rejoice. We, we rejoice in our suffering. You think Paul was somebody that knew a little bit about suffering? And he's saying we rejoice in it. Why? Why do you rejoice in suffering? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The only way we see trials is God's love is if we understand what he's producing in us. That's the only, only way we see it. And the reason we don't see trials that way, the reason we want to eject ourselves from the situation of trials, the reason your non-Christian neighbor doesn't see trials that way is because they look at the trial and they say, Why me? Why am I having to go through this? Why is he not having to go through this? Why is she not having to, Why am I having to go through this? And we never look forward to say, What is God producing in me? Because if we look beyond the trial and say, What is God producing in me? then we look at that trial and we say, this, this, is, this is God's love. As upside down as that is, as countercultural as that is, we can look at this trial in our life and say, God loves me. God is working on me right now. And I know God loves me because he promised that he's going to produce something in me through this trial. He could be producing in you patience, less anger, compassion, right, to, to, to know him more. Guess what all of those things are? Things you and I pray about. All those things that get produced out of trials are things you and I pray about. That God is lovingly giving us the answer to our prayers. You want more compassion? You don't want to be angry? You want to love your family? You want to know God better? He's giving you that opportunity to do that through a trial. It's the same stuff that you and I pray for. And he's answering those prayers lovingly to make us less like ourselves and more like him. But it happens through a trial. God does not waste a trial. Every trial in your life is put there to produce more like Christ, more like Christ's likeness. Let's say that. That's what he's doing. Every trial. There's no trial out there that's like, uh, you know what, I'm going to make him feel bad today. No, every trial, small, big, short, long, is, be, is, pr- is put in your life by God to produce Christ-likeness, to produce spiritual maturity, and we need to anticipate that growth. I mean, just think about when you've grown the most in your Christian life. Right? It, it came during a job difficulty, not when you were getting promoted and making all the money. You started to think it was about yourself. No, it came through a job difficulty when things were hard, right? It came when your marriage was on the rocks and you said, I I don't know what to do. I I don't know how to control marriage. I don't know how to manage this situation. God, I need your help. God grew you through that. It came through health difficulties. When you weren't in tip-top shape, when you weren't in peak condition and you were laying on a hospital bed or laying on a doctor's bed, That's when God grew you because it became less about you and more about what is God doing in my life. Trials come when you and I aren't strong enough to figure it out on our own. And we must humbly go before God to say, God, I need you because I'm weak. But I know when I'm weak, you're strong. And you're producing something in me to teach me right now. Trials produce growth and maturity in our life. Well, how am I supposed to figure that out? How am I supposed to figure out what he's working on in my life, what he's trying to produce? He tells us that right in verse 5. Verse 5, James 1. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, again, imperative, you must do this, what I'm about to say, let him ask God. Ask God. You got questions about your trial. Matter of fact, even if you don't have questions about your trial, create some questions about your trial and go ask God. Ask God who gives generously without to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, in faith that God knows what he's doing. This is not by accident. For the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man. It's the opposite of our theme for this, this, this entire book. All in. No, he's double-minded. He's thinking about... Thinking about trying to be all in, but also thinking about the cares of the world. He's double-minded, unstable, unreliable in all his ways. God has an inexhaustible amount of wisdom to provide to you. You don't need to search for it yourself. Right? You need to ask God for that wisdom and then go seek it. But it's not about you trying to figure out how to maneuver through this trial on your own. Because God is giving that to you. He's, he's willing and able and has more than enough wisdom to help you through your trial. He's just waiting on you to come to him and not say, why am I going through this? He's always near. It's a God-given trial, and then he's right there by our sides. The ways God provides understanding. One way is through the Holy Spirit, right? Through the Bible. You ever just read the Bible and say, wow. It's like God knew exactly what I was going through. He does, right? And this is the living word, living and active, right? And so reading the, Bible, reading the Bible that's living and active, our spirit within us works together for God to give us instruction and direction and wisdom to continue to see what he's producing in these trials. Other ways that God provides understanding is counsel through others, Right, God has put other believers, other men that are in your life right now, that are in your small group right now, that he's going to speak through and provide the wisdom that you need to help you through that trial, to effectively get through that trial, to get what he's trying to produce in you. But you can never get that if you don't open up. You can never get that if you say, I, I got to show, I got to make sure I protect my reputation. I got to make sure I keep this close to the vest. I got to make, I don't know if I trust these guys. with." No, you're never going to get God's wisdom unless you open up and talk to the other believers that he has placed in your life because he speaks through them and gives wisdom through them as well. He also provides understanding by being all in at church, all in at church. Because when you're all in here, you're plugged into small groups, you're you're, you're reading the DBR, you're reading God's Word, you're in fellowship with other believers, then it helps remind us that, look, it's not about you and I walking out of this life saying, like, who, 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 who felt like they won this life? No, it's not about that. It's about you taking the focus off of you and putting it on Christ. And church reminds us of that. Church reminds us that this life is not about this life. It's about the next. Church reminds us that it's not about you and me. It's about Christ and how do we glorify him in whatever he's putting us in. All right, we talk about the parking lot ministry. Christ might be working on your heart right now. The Spirit might be tugging at you, but you might be trying to fight back saying, well, it's parking lot. That's not, I want something. No, that's where Christ wants you. That's where he wants you. Right? And so don't try to figure it out yourself. Take what's being placed up right in front of you. Take where the Holy Spirit is guiding you, and God provides wisdom and He provides understanding through that. But you see, all of those things, right? Praying, being in the Word, talking to other people, that's the complete opposite of isolation. We tend to want to isolate when we get in our trials. We tend to say, I need to take a break from my small group because I'm going through a lot. I need to take a break from going to church because, you know, I I need to get this, this family thing figured out. No, you need to plug in more. Plug in more. Be all in because that's where God provides wisdom. And that's what we all need. When we don't go to God as he's commanded... We exacerbate the problem. We prolong the problem. You might wonder why your problem has been lasting for a year. I don't know. Maybe one of the reasons is because you haven't taken this step of saying it's not about the trial. It's about what God is producing. It's about me going to God and saying, God, give me wisdom and having faith that he will. But you, you keep trying to, 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 to fight against this, this trial yourself, and you're just sitting in it. God's saying go to him for wisdom. doesn't mean you're going to escape it. But you will have peace. You will have a better understanding because you're, you're reminded that God is working on you. And this life is about being more like him through whatever you're going through. The other thing is when we anticipate, are we still? No, we're not on that. I forgot to give you point three. I got too excited. Point three, pray for understanding according to God's plan. I'm like, that doesn't connect with what I'm about to say. This does. Pray for understanding according to God's plan. Here's the thing, when you, do, when you do that, when you finally pray for understanding and not try to figure it out yourself, you pray for God's wisdom, one of the things he might show you is that trial that you're going through, it's not just for you, but it's for you to be a blessing to other people. It's for you to impact somebody else, because when we look at 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4... Paul tells us, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that, here's the reason that he comforts comforts us, we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction any affliction, with the comfort which he, we ourselves are comforted by God. So you see that, you see that down line that's working there? God is, is providing you wisdom. He's providing you comfort in your trial, not so you can hoard it and keep it for yourself and say, like, okay, God is working with me. No, so you can be a blessing to other people. The trial that you have in your life, yes, it's, it's for you, God's working on you, but he doesn't stop there because he wants to use you to be a blessing to other people. And you want to know how you get encouragement through a trial is when you don't have a job or your, your health is, is declining and you don't say, why me? You say, you know what, I'm going to go find somebody else that's going through the same situation and I want to work with them. I want to bless them because God has blessed me. He's given me peace. He's given me wisdom. I want to go share that with somebody else so that they can be encouraged. And guess what God does in that? He encourages you when you start to take it off of yourself and put it on other people and put it on Christ. We don't think about our trial that way. We constantly get focused on why me, why me, why me and not looking at what is God producing and what does God want me to do with this trial. Because there's many other people in your life right now that need help with a trial that you've been through, that you had experience, but you're so consumed over why me that you haven't even thought about, God may have given you that trial so you can help this person over here. Wisdom is what we need to pray for. God gives us that understanding. There's a few of you in this room that, you know, when I have counselees, I'll pick up the phone and say, hey, I need you to talk to this brother. I need you to talk to this brother. And I do that because not that what I'm giving them is not enough. God's word is sufficient. I can give them God's word, and that's more than enough. But where I really want to get deep in there is I want to give them somebody that said, hey, I I know exactly what you're going through. Yeah, I struggle with my job. Yeah, I struggle with my help. Yeah, I struggle with my marriage. Yeah, I struggle with relationships. Yeah, I was angry with God. But let me tell you how God showed me wisdom, and he helped me through it. And you know what? They might listen to you a little bit more because you've been there. I'm not oblivious to it. Some people come into the office and they're like, oh, you're a pastor. Well, you're supposed to say that. So that's why I double down and I say, no, let me go get you somebody that's walked in your shoes. In addition to this, not that it needs it, but let me get it to help you. Because you've been through trials. God has given you a trial so that it's not just for you. You're using that to continue to be a blessing to other people. And God draws them closer to him. God draws you closer to him all through a trial. Not why me, but looking at what God is producing in it. But you must have faith. You must have faith in that. You must have faith that God works in those ways. God works in every trial, every trial. God does not waste a trial. We recently read in Matthew 14, Peter, he gets out of the boat and he's walking towards Jesus and uh, Jesus says, come, and he's, he's coming, right? He's walking on water. And then what does it say? It said he, he saw the wind and he, he feared, right? He feared. And what happened when he started fearing? He started sinking. He started sinking. And then Jesus, what did he tell him? Oh, you of little faith. All right, you of little faith. So Peter was focused, focused on Christ. He had this this, this, this myopic focus just on Christ, nobody else. And he was doing something that was miraculous. miraculous and he couldn't, he couldn't do on his own. But then the second the cares of the world and the things that started to, to come and take his mind off of Jesus and started to split his attention, he started to sink. Why? He became double-minded in that moment, right? He, he's worrying about other stuff and trying to worry about Christ. It doesn't work that way. In our trials, we worry about how can we get through this on our own, but yeah, I want to sprinkle in some Jesus in there too. No, God's saying, come to me, trust me, ask me for wisdom, understand that I'm growing you. And if you do that with your trial, then you will be effective with your trial for God's glory. Not being double-minded. I think if we just ask ourselves these two questions before any trial, we would, we, we would just change the whole landscape of what's about to happen, and how we navigate through. We just ask these two questions. One is, what's the purpose of this life? Is it for me to to, to win this life, for me to have the best in this life, or is it for me to glorify Christ? Because if the purpose is for me to glorify Christ, my sanctification in the Christian life, if that's the purpose of this life, then again, the tension is off of us trying to be successful and and have this nice and easy trial-free life. And it begins to be, how do I make it more like Christ? That's the final destination. The second thing is, is asking ourselves, what's the purpose of this trial? And is God big enough? We don't ask ourselves that question enough. We just run headfirst into the trial or we're thrown into the trial and we're like, well, I I don't know what to do. I, I don't like it. I don't know. I don't even know which way to turn. But we need to just ask ourselves sometimes, is God big enough? Because if you can answer those two questions before you even get to the trial, again, that's what I love about James. They got problems, but he's saying, let, let's count it all joy first. I, I just want you to get in that mindset. Before you start to get all into the nuances of what's going on and what you're dealing with and what you're facing, count it all joy, right? What is our life about? Is God big enough? Our life is about Christ, and we know God is big enough. Okay, what's the problem? What, what, what is the trial? What are we dealing with? We put ourselves in completely different Mind space if we know God is big enough. And the point of our life is not about having a trial-free life. Not who can go through the life with the the least amount of trial. It's about being more like Christ. We set ourselves up for success to handle it in a Christ-honoring way. Look, man, I I know that there's some trials out there. And I'm not trying to be dismissive about what you're going through because some of you are going through some real difficult trials, and, and I get that, and so you might look at this and say, well, that's easy if it's a small trial, or if it's, you know, it's just trouble with my wife, or it's just a temporary job, but I, I, gotta, I got one that's, that's life-altering right now that I'm having to work through, and I don't see any end in sight. There's some hard ones out there. I understand that. I know that, and you might, not, you might say you don't understand mine. Here's the thing. The same confidence that James had, the same confidence that Peter had, is the same confidence that I have. Is that regardless of what you're going through, I may not know your trial, but God does. I may not have the exact solution, but God does. I may not be able to pull you out of that trial today with counsel, but God can. And so if we understand that regardless of what you are going through, God knows exactly what you're in, and he's trying to work through you, then we handle it different. We understand it differently, and we approach it differently, and that gives us, again, the joy of the entire picture. Trial because of what it produces. So when your next trial comes, the question is, how are you going to respond? You're going to be bitter or you're going to get better? Bitter or get better? You're going to run away and question God and make things worse, exacerbate the problem, prolong the problem? Or you're going to get better by expecting the trial to happen, not being in shock, by anticipating that God is working in you, He's growing you, He's making you more like Him through that trial. It wasn't by accident. And by going to him all throughout that trial in prayer with faith, not asking to be ejected, not asking to say, God, get me out of here. I don't deserve this. But asking for that wisdom to grow you and to make you more like him with whatever that trial is that you're going through right now, that you went through in the past, or the next one that you're going to face in the future. Let's run to God Let's be more like Jesus, less like ourselves in every trial that we face. Let's pray. God, we know this is a difficult text to apply. But, Lord, I just pray that we would think about how big and how awesome it is that through every trial, there's not a trial that's all negative. It may feel like it's negative But the beauty of every trial, the reason we can count it all joy is because you, you are working in us. You have a specific plan for a trial. And so I pray that the trials even remind us, while they may be difficult, that you're working on us in some way, shape, or form to make us more like Christ and less like ourselves. We need more of that, Lord. So I just pray that we would work to apply this message, apply this to to one that is going to happen to all of us, either today, tomorrow, next week, or next month. We will all face a trial, and I pray that we would expect the trial. We would anticipate how you're working in us and through us, and we would come to you constantly and ask for wisdom, wisdom that only you can provide. We thank you so much for loving us and caring for us and always working to shape us to be more like you. We give you all the thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.